chapter 1, picking up pretty much where the book of Joshua left off. Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go? Who shall be first to go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Indeed, I have delivered the land into his hand. So Judah said to Simeon, his brother, Come up with me to my allotted territory that we may fight against the Canaanites, and I will likewise go with you to your allotted territory. And Simon went with him, or Simeon went with him. Then Judah went up, and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand. They killed 10,000 men of Bezek, and they found Adonai Bezek in Bezek. <laughs> it's Lord of and fought against him, and they defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Then Adonai Bezek fled, and they pursued him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and big toes. Well, that's the thing that they did, because if you took off the thumbs and the big toes of a king, he could not be a warrior. And Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off used to gather scraps under my table, as I had done, so God has repaid me. Isn't that, isn't that just the way that heathens think about God? That God is the one that, you know, as soon as you do something bad, God's right there to strike you with something bad. If you do something good, God's there to give you something good. That it's, that's how they view God. That's how this person viewed God. That's not anyone who knows God. Don't think this is Bible, that God is saying that. This is an unsaved person in their view of God. Idolater at that. So Judah's supposed to go up there their hand, and Simeon goes with him. They they're both our neighbors. And so they decide to team up in taking their territories that Simeon would come and help Judah take Judah's territory, and Judah would go and help Simeon take their territory. Now the children of Judah fought against Jerusalem and took it. They struck it with the edge of the sword, and they set the city on fire. Now this is likely different than in Joshua chapter 10. In Joshua chapter 10, the king of Jerusalem was defeated by Joshua but perhaps not the city. So here it says that they took the city, but you may remember that there's another famous person who took Jerusalem by the name of King David. He moved the cap to Jerusalem and took Jerusalem. Well, it seems that what they had taken here was not the fortress part of the city, but the other part of the city. And so it may be that they had that part of the city, but not the fortress part. And that may be what was, was being talked about. Verse 9, And afterward the children of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites who dwelt in the mountains in the south and in the lowland. Then Judah went against the Canaanites who dwelt in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kerjeth Arba. And they killed Seshai, Ahim, Ahima, Ahimam, Tamai. From there they went against the inhabitants of Debir. The name of Debir was formerly Kerjeth Sephir. Then Caleb said, Whoever attacks Kerjes Saphir and takes it to him I will give my daughter Ashsa as wife and Othmel the son of Kenaz Caleb's younger brother took it so he gave him his daughter Ashsa as wife now it happened when she came to him that she urged him to ask her father for a field and she dismounted from her donkey Caleb said to her what do you wish so she said to him, give me a blessing. Since you have given me land in the south, give me also springs of water. And Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. Now this is a repeat of Joshua chapter 15, verses 16 through 19. It's pretty much word for word, exactly as it was written in there. Uh, not much different there. It seems to be that the, the retelling is just, uh, I, I guess obviously they copied it from the same source. 
And they, they put this in here. But you'll notice that Caleb's daughter had uh, asked for some a blessing and she got some lamb, but she wanted some water to go with it. And so her husband, who was her husband because of he, was, he did what uh, Caleb had asked, she asked him to go ask her father for it. And apparently he was being unsuccessful. And so they were ready to go out. The scene is that they're ready to go out to the land and she's on the donkey. And the husband is down there with Caleb talking about, we need some water, we need some... And he's kind of reluctant to give it to the son-in-law. And so she decides, I guess I need to get down and help this out. And so she gets down off the donkey and she comes over to dad and she talks to dad herself. And, uh, and then he just gives it to her. <laughs> Now the children of the Canaanite, Moses' father-in-law, went up from the city of the Palms with the children of Judah into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the south near Arad. And they went and dwelt among the people. And Judah went with his brother Simeon and they attacked the Canaanites who inhabited Zephath and utterly destroyed it. So the name of the city was called Horma. Now the city of the Palms, I'm told, is the city of Jericho. So it must be something more inside that area that they... They needed to go out to uh, there and do. Boy, they just went up there and... and We see that Simeon goes with his brother Judah. And now we see that Judah goes with his brother Simeon. That would seem to indicate that they first went into Judah's territory and now Judah's territory. In verse 18, And Judah took Gaza with its territory, Ashkelon with its territory, Ekron with its territory. So the Lord was with Judah and they drove out the mountaineers, but they could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland because they had chariots of iron. I don't know about you, but it seems like it's easier to drive out people in the lowlands than it is out of the mountains. But they had a harder time with the people in the lowlands because they had chariots of iron and they didn't have any of those. But notice these territories which they took. They took Gaza, Ashkelon, and Ekron, who throughout the book of Samuel and Kings, uh, I guess mostly Samuel, we, we see that in, but who is the biggest enemy of Israel? The Philistines, which are Gaza, Ashkelon, and Ekron. Those are three of the lords of the Philistines. That's not all of them. But there are but there are three of them. And here it says that Judah took them. So they must not have taken them for very long. They must have lost them after a time. This, of course, is the Gaza Strip that we uh, know very well today. And they gave Hebron to Caleb, as Moses had said, and he expelled from there the three sons of Anak. So Caleb just continues to keep pushing on here. And he even takes out three Anak, that's the giants. So all in all, it tells us about eight cities, territories, areas that are conquered by Judah and Simeon. But it says they did not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland. What was the reason given? They had iron chariots there. Now, there are always reasons why we don't do what the Lord wants us to do. Aren't there? We always have reasons why we're not doing what God says to do. And this is the case here. We're just listening. Now, the reason we didn't do what God said to do, which was to drive out all the inhabitants, is because they had iron chariots. I mean, it would have been nicer if God had a satellite up in the sky and He could have seen they had iron chariots. <laughs> of course, God already knew that they had iron chariots. But so often we meet up with a promise of God and we go in there to do the thing and we find an excuse, we find a reason why we can't get it done. Well, it's because this. Well, I didn't know we were going to face this. Well, this came up. Well, this happened. 
It's like God didn't know that was going to happen. There is nothing that we face that God did not know ahead of time. If He says to get something done, there's a way to get it done. They have already defeated nations with iron chariots. This is not the first time they've run up against them. They have won. They have defeated them. There were times when, when uh, Israel came out of Egypt that God took their wheels apart. And their chariots just fell apart that way. God has all kinds of ways to defeat things. We just got to give Him the opportunity and stand in faith and believe. But they didn't do that there. Verse 21, But the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem. So the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. So it may be that maybe Benjamin had part of the city and Judah had the other part. And the house of Joseph also went up against Bethel and the Lord was with them. So the house of Joseph sent men to spy out Bethel. The name of the city was formerly Luz. And when the spies saw a man coming out of the city, they said to him, Please show us the entrance to the city and we will show you mercy. Now they're probably looking for a secret entrance, not the main. Obviously you can see where the main entrance is. They want to know where is a less guarded area. So he showed them the entrance to the city and they struck the city with the edge of the sword. But they let the man and all his family go. And the man went to the land of the Hittites built a city and called its name Luz, which is its name to this day. Now the Hittites were a people who settled north of Syria after Joshua kicked them out of Canaan. And so this guy heads up that way to the area of the Hittites and he rebuilds the city, or he builds the city and calls its name Luz after the one he just came from. Now, come, now imagine this. Here's a guy just wandering around, moving, doing his own business. Israel comes up to him Tell us where, how to get into the city. He shows them. And for some unexplained reason, this man is able to go from here into a new territory and build a city. That's something else. I, I don't know about you, but just going into a place, I, I'm just going to build a city here. But he did it. Quite interesting. So he's kind of like the, the Rahab of the book of Judges. Verse 27, However, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shean and its villages or Tanakh and its villages, or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages, or the inhabitants of Eblim and its villages, or the inhabitants of Megiddo and its villages, for the Canaanites were determined to dwell in the land. There are five sections here of the, all five sections of their land they did not drive out the inhabitants of. That's Manasseh. Now this is the half-tribe of Manasseh. The other half is elsewhere. And it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites under tribute, but did not completely drive them out. It came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites under tribute, but they did not completely drive them out. If you are strong enough to put them under tribute, are you strong enough to drive them out? So why didn't they? They disobeyed. They maybe saw a, uh, an opportunity to have some free labor, whatever it was. The uh, free money, something. Nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer. So the Canaanites dwelt in Gezer. Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of Kitron or the inhabitants of Nahala. So then the Canaanites dwelt among them and were put under tribute. Again, if you put them under tribute, shouldn't you also be able to drive them out? Nor did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Akko or the inhabitants of Sidon, of Alab, Axib, Helba, Afik, or Rehab. 
So the Asherites dwell among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. So here it calls the Canaanites the inhabitants of the land and Asher as the intruder. For they did not drive them out. Verse 33, Nor did Nephtali drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh or the inhabitants of Beth Anath, but they dwell among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. So again, we're calling the Canaanites the inhabitants of the land, not Nephtali. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath were put under the tribute to them. So all these different tribes do not drive out the inhabitants. In fact, the inhabitants are more numerous than they are. Did God say to them to drive out the inhabitants? If God said to drive out the inhabitants, were they able? Verse 34, And the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountains. So this is even, even worse. They're not just, drive, they're not just living among the, the uh, Amorites. The Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountains. They're not even allowed to live in all the places of the land that God had given them. They've got to just take the mountains because that's where the people of the Amorites... For they would not allow them to come down to the valley. <laughs> It does not sound like they are too victorious here. And the Amorites who de were determined to dwell in Mount Heres, in Ajalon, and in Shelbim. Yet when the strength of the house of Joseph became greater, they were put under tribute. So when Ephraim, is basically what this is saying, when Ephraim became stronger, they did what Dan could not. But all they did then was they put them under tribute. They did not drive them out. Now the boundary of the Amorites was from the ascent of Akrabin, from Selah and upward. Now Dan, when Jacob had given, was giving the blessings, he, Judah was compared to a, you remember? A lion. And Dan was compared to a serpent. A serpent is often associated with cunning and craft. But cunning and craft will not bring about the victory as will courage in obeying the Word of God. Judah was victorious in driving out the inhabitants in most of their areas. Dan was chased into the... So after all that of chapter 1, we come to chapter 2, and the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum. And he said, I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars. This. Now... If you're wondering who this is, we know the angel of the Lord is generally Jesus. But look at what he says. I led you up. This is not saying, thus says the Lord. He is saying, I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? So this angel of the Lord is identifying himself as I'm the one who brought you up. I'm the one who made the covenant with you. I'm the one who gave you the word of what you're supposed to do. And you have disobeyed my voice. So we had all these places where they were either not driving out the inhabitants or they were making, a, or making them tribute, which means they made a covenant with them. We will not wipe you out and you will pay us this amount of money or you will do this kind of work for us. That's what they had to enter into. They entered into a covenant with them, uh, an agreement, some kind of a tribute agreement, and they did this instead of obeying what God said. The angel of the Lord showed up and he rebukes them. But you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? It all starts out first off because they don't obey the voice 
of God. Therefore, in other words, because you did not obey the voice of God, because you did not obey my voice, therefore I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side and their God shall be... So because you didn't do it, therefore I, the promise was before, I will drive them out before you. Now I'm not going to drive them out. Because you didn't obey. So now they're going to stay. That's not God's will. What is going on here is not the will of God. Don't think that everything that happens in the world is the will of God. This is not the will of God. This is not what He wanted. He knew this would be a bad thing. But He said, because you didn't obey, this is what's going on. Too many times, Christians get involved and they are in, in situations and they are going around talking like, well, this is the will of God. I guess God wants to see how we do with this or what happens with this and it's not the will of God. They did not obey what the Word of God said. They did not do what the Word of God told them to do. And so it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voices and wept. Weeping does not replace obedience. Weeping does not replace faith. Weeping does not replace carrying out what God said to do. But too often Christians are on their knees, just like the children of Israel, repenting and weeping, but it's not what God wants. But it's what I'm comfortable giving. So that's why we do it. God does not want what you're comfortable giving. He wants what He asked for. When we do it, great things happen. Then they called the name of the place Bochim, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land. Well, possess at least what part of it they did get into. What part of it was there for, the, for them to grab hold of. But they surely did not get it all. Now, here's the thing we've got to see. And I think one of the best lessons we can learn from the, the book of Judges is this. Just because we go into battle does not mean that we win. Just because we go into battle does not mean... Too often Christians want to think just because I showed up for the battle, I should win. Just because I came, it should be enough. It should be like Jericho. We showed up, we marched around the city. We should get the victory. God should knock down the wall and God should do all these things. And Nope. Just because we go into battle does not mean we win. Just like the children of Israel went up to Ai, they showed up for the battle, but they didn't win. Because they say, we got to make sure that we do what the Lord says to do. When we do what the Lord says to do, we can be confident. We can say, I have victory. But just because you show up for a battle, or just because a battle is thrust upon you, does not mean that you will win it. What means that we win it is this. It takes four things. It takes understanding, faith, courage, and obedience. If you want to win the battle, it takes understanding, faith, courage, and obedience. What was the thing that the Lord constantly told to Joshua? Be strong and of good courage. Be strong and of good courage. He said, no man will be able to stand against you. But a principle he taught them, he taught to others as well, Every place on which the fo your foot shall tread, I have given it to you. My wife and I got in a conversation about this. I'm not sure exactly where, but we were talking about that uh, verse of Scripture. 
Um, and sometimes Christians want to say, well, whatever it is that I walk, that's mine. But that's not... First off, the promise was given to Abraham, given again to Isaac, given again to Jacob. This land, this area over here, I'm going to give it to you. Land of Canaan, it's going to be yours. And God told Abraham, now go out there. So I've already declared it to be yours. Now go out there and walk in it. In every place on which the, your foot shall tread, I have given it to you. And Joshua was walking off, working off that same promise. This land is yours. Now you need to go out there and walk in it and take it. Decreed it to you, you have no business walking on it and claiming it. Too many Christians, they walk into that. Now first thing I gave you here in the list, it takes understanding, faith, courage, and obedience. By understanding, I mean this. Knowledge, which breeds understanding, which breeds wisdom. That's the course. Knowledge comes first. The Spirit of God gives us understanding of the knowledge that we have. If we don't have understanding of the knowledge we are given, then the knowledge goes away. We have got to have the understanding. The parable of the, of the sower and the seed the reason that the enemy was able to come and snatch the seed was because they did not have understanding. I've got to understand what it is that is going on. I put understanding here. Of those three, that's the one I was emphasizing the most because too many times Christians are going around saying the right things but not understanding what they say. We've got to understand what we say. If we don't understand it, if we just repeat it, it doesn't do any good. We have knowledge, but we don't know what we don't know how that goes on from there. We've got to know, understand, and apply it to our lives, which is wisdom. So the first thing it's going to take is understanding. I have got to understand the Word of God. I've got to understand the Word of God on faith. I've got to understand the Word of God on healing. I've got to understand the Word of God on finances. I got to understand what the Word of God is about promises, about covenant. I need to understand these things. As I understand those things, then I can apply them to wisdom. I can make application out of these things and do it. That's where it all starts. It starts with an understanding. It takes understanding, first off. Secondly, it takes faith. I have to have faith in the things that I understand. You can have great understanding and not have faith in it. It's not going to do you any good. You've got to have faith in the thing that you understand. Because faith is the evidence of things hoped for and the what? The substance of things not seen. Not seen. That's why it takes faith. I understand it. I don't see it. But I understand it. Too often, people are, they have the promise of God. I know God promised me Healing, God promised me finances, God promised me blessings, God promised me whatever it is that God's promised, but I don't see it. And we talk about what we see for understanding without a proper understanding. I don't have faith in the Word of God. It's misplaced faith. You have faith in what you see. What did Jesus say about that kind of faith? Thomas, they who believe and yet have not seen. That's where we have to be at. But Christians want to talk about, we've mentioned this before, we want to say what we have instead of have what we say. People, it's really easy for Christians to fall into this thing. We go around, we talk about what we have. Well, I, 
I have high this or low this or disproportionate this or whatever kind of thing is going on. We talk about what we have much easier than we say what we should, what, what we see, what our faith is putting is out there for. Because I can have the things that I say. But I've got to understand what the Word of God says. I've got to have a proper understanding. If I have a wrong understanding, somebody needs to stand up next side, alongside of me and hit me upside the head. We, we need that. Sometimes we just need to get slapped in the face. What are you doing saying that? What are you doing going that way? That's not right. That's not a proper understanding of what you need to do. Understand and then have faith in it. It takes understanding and faith. The children of Israel did not have a proper understanding of what God said. God said to drive out the inhabitants. He said, get them out, eradicate them, get rid of their idols, destroy all that stuff. I don't want that stuff to survive. I want it all to go. But they did not have that. They did not share in the Lord's passion to get rid of idolatry. They did not share in the Lord's passion to rid the people from the land. They did not share the Lord's passion for that. Because of it, they went off and they did something else. We've got to share in the passion that God has for these things. Understanding, faith, courage. How many times have we watch those uh, movies and we see the courageous people and they always tell us the same thing. Courage is a meaning you're not, you're not afraid. It means in the face of fear, you do what you know to do. You do what needs to be done. That's courage. doesn't mean we'll always not be... Not be it might be sometimes we are a little, a little shaky about it. But we get up there and we do the thing that we need to do. It takes understanding, faith, courage. Courage is the third. Remember when Jesus was talking with the, uh, the woman with the issue of blood? And while He's talking with her, the report comes... Why bother the teacher anymore? Your daughter is dead. And what does Jairus do? Immediately fear begins to come up on the inside of him. And Jesus speaks to him immediately and says, Do not fear. Only believe. It takes courage to believe in that situation. There was still some fear probably around him. But he decided... To stay on the side of belief. He didn't go around saying, Oh, she's dead. Oh, I thought this would work. Oh, why didn't you? He didn't say all those things. It takes courage. And for us, it will take courage to stand up in the midst of people who look at us going against what is, what is happening in this world. Well, wait a minute. The economy's doing this. Well, wait a minute. The doctor's report says this. Well, wait a minute. The, this is going. Well, wait a minute. And I'll have all these different reports for you. Mm-mm. It takes understanding. It takes faith, it takes courage, and obedience. Do what God says to do. Well, I did it, and nothing happened. Well, I no, just you do what God says to do. You just keep doing it. You stay at it. Father God, I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to stop doing this. I understand what your word says. I have faith to believe in that word. I will be courageous, and I will stand up. And I will obey and do what you say to do. And God will come through for us. We've got stories all over the Word of God of people who did this. And we have stories of people we've written books today or 
we've seen or we've heard from or whatever, people who have had victory. In order for us to walk in the, in the wind, it takes understanding, it takes faith, it takes courage, it takes obedience. We need to have these things going on in our life. Just because I show up for the battle doesn't mean I win. I've got to show up to the battle with these particular things. In the New Testament, Paul puts it this way. When you get into the battle, make sure you show up with all the armor. <laughs> Don't show up with part of it. Take on the whole armor I've got. Be equipped. That's why it's so important that we get the right knowledge of the Word of God. That we glean from the Spirit the proper understanding. And we see how to apply it to our lives in the proper way of wisdom. If we understand, we have faith, we have courage, we have obedience. The victory is not far behind. When Jesus says, believe that you have the things that you say and you will have them. But we've got to believe first that we've got them. And then we'll have them. We want to believe after. That's easy. Anybody can do that. That's not the way God said it works. He says, no, you've got to become convinced that you have what you said. Have faith in that. Have courage. And be obedient. Follow us. That we can walk in this life and overcome whatever it is that's in our path. As we look at the book of Judges, we see that there was a lot of defeat in the book of Judges. A lot of people didn't do what you said to do. When you came down and rebuked them, you said you didn't obey. Because you didn't obey, this is not going to happen. But you had wanted that thing to happen. That you want to happen. That you want to come about. And we want them to come about. Remind us how important it is to obey. How important it is for us not to speak words of fear. Not to speak words of doubt. Not to murmur against our own prayers of faith. But to be consistent. In order for us to be consistent, it needs to be something that we believe. That down on the inside of ourselves into it, I believe this is true. If that's the case, then everything out of my mouth will, will speak that. Will line up with that. Because it's part of my belief. Father, I thank you that you help us to shape our beliefs according to your word. Not according to religion. Not according to what man thinks about your word. But real true revelation of your word. Thank you for the help that you give us. In Jesus' name, amen.